month is special because it is Sanctity of Human Life Month. And I want to recognize that this year. We as a church uh, support the... Uh, New Family Life Services. That one. <laughs> New Family Life Services there in Colville. Uh, we support them. My wife was on the board there. And it is a vital ministry that I, uh, I just, I'm uh, amazed at uh, what they're able to accomplish and the lives that they're able to touch and how important that is. We serve a God that is a God of life. But we have an enemy that is a, a God of death. You know, this enemy that is coming against us, he's about death. Everything that God does is about life. He brought life. The scripture tells us, and, and we'll get into Jeremiah here in just a, a couple of moments. Scripture tells us that God created man and woman in the garden. It says that he breathed in them, and they became a living soul. Now, he didn't go breathe into a guppy or a you know a parakeet or a frog. He breathed into humans as a living soul. He created us that living soul. Now you can get in a big theological debate about whether there will be animals in heaven or not. And it doesn't really matter. Because we are the redeemed of God. As human beings, we are the redeemed of God. We're special in that sense. And everything that God does is about giving us life. Now humans, because of sin, have this really weird thing where we... We desire life, we fear death, but yet we almost uh, seek death in a weird way. Human beings start smoking cigarettes, start drinking alcohol, like to drive really fast, like to drive without seatbelts, uh, eat really bad food. Eugene <laughs> was just talking about that with me. You know, there's lines going into to McDonald's. You can stand out there and say, that stuff's going to kill you. And they'll just say, yeah, whatever, give me a Big Mac. You know, we, uh, there's just something about people that we fear death. And people, even when they get very old and in a lot of pain, they'll say, oh, I'm just ready to go home. I'm ready to get out of here. But yet when they have one more pain, they don't recognize they're back to the doctor because they fear death. We don't want to die. God placed that within us. So this very odd battle goes on inside of us where we don't want to die, but we seem to be doing everything to kill ourselves. <laughs> it doesn't really make sense, but in a lot of ways that's how it is. But the enemy is trying to take life from us. God is trying to give life. Life was never designed to be cheapened. Mr. Wright, it's not just a number. It's not just a statistic, but it's a human being. There's a powerful statement right there. What God creates is life. What the enemy creates is death. We see a, a society that has become almost obsessed with death nowadays. We have children, I'm going to hopefully not trip over anything. We have children going to school dressed in what they call goth. I don't know if you've ever seen that. They look like they're walking dead. They, 
They have groups where they get together and talk about death. And we realize we have to understand that the enemy is trying to cheapen death. See, this is a problem that I've had with abortion. If you would turn to Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 34. The problem with abortion is many. But one of the problems, I should say, is this. Before abortion, before that concept became acceptable in our society, there was no value that you could place on your child. That baby was worth innumerable amount of money. You couldn't put a price tag on a baby. But what abortion does is actually places a value on a baby. And that value is whatever an abortion costs, four or $500, I'm not sure what it costs. But it places a value on that baby. If you can pay $500 and have that baby killed, that baby is worth $500. The proponents of abortion have often said that the, the, the idea, and they argued during Roe versus Wade in 1973, is that if we had abortion, then only babies that are wanted would be born. And therefore, there would be no child abuse, far less child abuse that would take care of a lot of that problem. Unwanted children wouldn't be here. It would only be wanted children, and everything would be so much better. But the reality is that we put a price tag on a human being, and so as a result of that, if you can pay a little bit of money and kill your child, then what in the world is wrong with beating your child? And as a result of Roe versus Wade in 1973, there was a dramatic, massive increase in child abuse, not a decrease. It increased exponentially after that. Jeremiah chapter 2, 34, verse 34, it says, Also in thy skirts is found the blood of the souls of the poor innocents. I have not found it by secret search, but upon all these. Yet thou sayest, because I am innocent, surely... His anger shall turn from me. Behold, I will plead with thee, because thou sayest, I have not sinned. Father, I pray that you will direct me. Let me be a mouthpiece for you today to, to, to build our awareness, to build our, our urgency, to, to build our passion towards this subject, Lord. Let us celebrate life as Christians, because you gave us life. And I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. This is one of the few places in Scripture where the Bible is actually kind of, where God is actually kind of uh, directing the chastening directly at the woman. Most of the time it's us guys again. But he's talking directly at the women here. In your skirts, he's telling them, is the blood of the souls of the poor innocents. And he says that he's talking like this blood is visible. It is something that is readily seen. And then he goes on to talk about how do you think you're, you're sinless in it? You're actually saying it's okay. And we see this in the abortion industry. I remember talking to a Baptist pastor one time, and I, we were talking about abortion. And he said, well, abortion really is just between the woman and her God. And I had, you know, it's one of those things where you wish you had an the answer right then, but it kind of, you know, it struck me as so sh shocking that he would say that. It caught me off guard. And, but I thought later on, I wish I would have said, well, then I'm going to go to your house and shoot all your children. And that would just be between me and my God. 
I mean, isn't that the same thing? If we can go and wipe out a, an innocent wife, an innocent child, and that is just between the person and their God, what about going into Columbine like those fellows did and they started shooting up that place? Was that just between them and their God? What about the fellow that went to the Amish school and lined up all the children along the line and, and, and began to shoot them? Was that just between him and his God? We can never say that the life of taking out an innocent life is between that person and their God. This is a vile sin of our land. But it's not just here. And, and you've got to understand that this, and I talked about last week, about the reprobate mind that is gripping our country, and not just our country, but our world, this reprobate mind, the inability to think rationally and clearly. A judge ruled this week that two people who are not emotionally tied they're just friends. Can adopt a child together. <laughs> what? Are you kidding me? What, your pals? Wait, you get up and shake hands in the morning? Hey, good to see you. Watch the kid. What? God put a plan together that two people, a man and a woman, who love each other and are bound together in marriage, have as a result of that offspring. That's what God put together. He did not say that two people who consider themselves friends can effectively raise a child. We have homosexuals adopting children now. We have homosexuals having uh, fertilization done so they can have children. We have this stuff happening across our land, and it makes sense to somebody. Your child goes to school. Your daughter goes to school, and she has a headache, and she goes to the the office for an aspirin, and they say, no, we can't give you an aspirin without your parents' permission. But the same girl goes into the office and says, I think I'm pregnant. I want to go get an abortion. Well, don't tell your parents. Come on, let's whisk you away and let you get an abortion. Does that make sense to anybody? It makes sense to liberals, I guess. I don't understand. But we have this inability as a nation, as a, as a world now, to think clearly about a lot of this stuff. But see, when we put a price on things, it doesn't stop there. Belgium has just recently made it legal for infanticide. You have your baby, and that wasn't the one you wanted. You didn't like that one. It's sick or whatever. You just have to go down and have it killed. We just placed a price tag on a child when we say you can pay some money to have that child killed. It has a price tag. It's like going to the store and shopping. You go to Walmart, the baby Walmart. I don't like that one. That's pretty good. I like this one I don't like, so we'll kill this one. Have you ever heard anything so insane? But what are we talking about when he says, when he's talking to him in Jeremiah, and he, and he talks about the blood of the souls of the four innocents? I have not found it by secret search, but upon all these. We see it. We can see it's not secret. Abortion's not a secret anymore. Women, proclaim it. There are women out there that have had a dozen or more abortions. They love it. It's great to them. Now, if you listen to the abortion industry, they'll tell you, you know, they'll give you the soft story, and you would think that every abortion was because of rape or incest. You know, oh, oh we can't, we got to have it because of that. It's like less than 2% of them are actually for that reason. The vast majority of them are simply for, uh, <laughs> Birth control is what it really boils down to. And that's the way it is done. And so just like Jeremiah talking, this is, this is pro 
proclaimed. It is, it is all wide open for everybody to see. And then they go on to say, I will plead with thee because thou sayest, I have no sin. There's nothing wrong with that. That's between me and my God. I'm good. There's no sin in that. And sometimes I struggle with this. This is not at all the direction I was going to go. Sometimes I struggle with this in that we, how much, how do you say, compassion or deference do we give to the woman who's having an abortion? And, that, and you know, my heart goes out to them. These young girls get in these situations, a terrible situation, but they're still murdering their child. Sometimes I think we almost go overboard in this thing of, of, of not wanting them to face the reality that they sinned. They've sinned. You know, they're not the victim. There may be a victim of their circumstances, but they still made a decision. And I don't mean to be heartless in that. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but I'm, I'm saying that sometimes we're so worried about showing them that we love them and showing them that there's an answer and there's a future that we never take them to the point of letting them say, you sinned, you committed murder, you need to repent before God. Is that heartless? I don't know. I don't think so. But Jeremiah 32, 35 says, And they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the sons of Himon, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire unto Molech, which I commanded them not, neither came into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. These people, in their idea of worship, were sacrificing their children. Now, God placed within you ladies something that us guys don't have, and that is a special love for your kids. Now, I, I don't really understand that because I know how much I love my kids. But I do recognize that you ladies got it worse than we do. You know, you, <laughs> it don't matter. You know, I keep trying to tell my wife, my son is 30, he can wash his own clothes. Oh, so... I think she's finally got it, and he's actually doing his most of the time now. But let him get a handmail, and Mama's there. You know, I'm like, suck it up, boy. She's there. You know, like, have that little surgery, that tooth taken out. Oh, my gosh, she would have thought the world stopped. Mama was waiting on him hand and foot. Sports. Sports. Mama's habit. They have it deeper. They have a love that is deeper. But what's happening here in Scripture is that the natural love of the woman has been diminished. Has been, it's actually been taken away. It's a natural thing for you. You ladies have it. You will die for your children. You will pick up a full-size sedan and, and drag your child out from under it. You will run a mile. You'll do whatever it takes to save that child. God placed that within you. It's there in your life, and you can't get rid of it, it seems. But these ladies did get rid of it. And so they were actually to the point that they are in worship. They think they're worshiping, and yet they're killing their children during this time of supposed worship and causing them to pass through fire. What kind of evil, what kind of demon does it take to see a mother throw her child into a fire. This is how powerful the devil is and his demons. The child of God must realize that this enemy we have is real and he is powerful. We have got to be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have got to be protected by the Spirit of God. We have to be in submission to him. 
These people thought they were worshiping God. We're not sinning. We're doing the right thing. We are in worship. We are praising God by sacrificing our child to get something out of it. They were looking for a blessing. Give me a blessing. It becomes about them. See, this is what abortion is. You have a young girl and she goes to college, like this lady was saying, and she's in college, and uh-oh, now she's pregnant. My future. What do I do? How do I finish college? Where, where will I work? Where will my child be? I've got to get rid of this baby. It becomes about her. What happened to the sacrifice of being a mother? What happened to the sacrifice of being a parent? What happened to the sacrifice of loving your children beyond all things? What happened to, to laying that life down for your children? Because God laid his life down for us. And see, this is a, a problem. That abortion is about her. She's trying to get out of a situation that she's in that she doesn't like. And I'm, I'm not trying to be cruel. That's just the reality of it. It is about her. And so they come up with these little terms like, well, I believe that I should have my reproductive rights. You know what? I agree with them 100%. You have absolute reproductive right. You don't have to reproduce. That's your right. <laughs> you can not reproduce or you can reproduce. That's called reproductive rights. Killing a baby has nothing to do with reproductive rights. Now, abortion has a long history in America. Most people don't realize that. Uh, most people think that a, abortion really got legalized and started in America in 1973 with Roe versus Wade, but abortion has been around pretty much as long as America has been here. And it has been an ongoing battle down through the uh, the, the decades and the centuries that the, that there's always been this fight one against the other, the pro against the, the con. And the difference was, back in the early days, way back when, it was an extremely dangerous situation. They said to get an abortion back then, it was like playing Russian roulette with three bullets in the gun. And that's, that's what abortion was like back then. The first, no, first time a, of a known conviction for the intent to abort a baby was uh, handed down in Maryland in 1652. Somebody was convicted for intending to abort her child. Four years later, also in Maryland, a woman was arrested for murder after procuring an abortion. But the case was thrown out when she married the only witness who then refused to testify against her. <laughs> a 1710 Virginia law made it a capital crime to conceal a pregnancy and then be found with a dead baby. In 1719, Delaware made a law that said anyone who can counsel abortion or infanticide was accessory to murder. At this point in history, infanticide was probably the most frequent way of killing an illegitimate child. Most women didn't have the means to kill their own baby before it was born, so they, if they were in that situation, they killed it after it was born. And it was very common back then, and it was often very hard, especially when they were moving out west, because most of them lived in caravans or, or uh, covered wagons that were coming out this way. It was pretty easy to deliver a baby and then say, oh, I died in sleep. You know, they, they did that kind of thing pretty frequently. It was almost impossible to produce enough evidence to get her, to convict her of something. So there was very, very few times that it never happened. Uh, pregnancy was hard to confirm, for there was almost never a corpse or a witness, and there was always a great deal of jury sympathy for the desperate and abandoned woman. In 1821, the first abortion legislation was passed in Connecticut. First time a law was passed making it illegal to abort. 
was in 1821. The frequency of abortion, however, continued to increase. It did not decrease. Newly established laws still faced a real problem of convictability since juries were not generally willing to convict a person of a capital crime without conclusive evidence. The penalty associated with abortion were often reduced in attempt to secure more convictions. So, even though they had laws against abortion way back then, when it came time to actually try a person, it was very difficult to get a witness. It was very difficult to get the evidence. And then when it did get to jury, the jury felt such sympathy for her situation because a lot of times there was a bad situation involved that they wouldn't convict her. So they plea bargained most of the situation, most of the uh, trials out. The refusal to make abortion a capital crime did not mean that the committee, now this is what the United States government said when they were passing this law, because this is valid when it comes to our law today. The, the, the government, the, the Congress said, the refusal to make abortion a capital crime did not mean that the committee, the Congressional Committee, was viewing the unborn child as less than a human life. The committee explicitly stated that the being in question was alive from conception and all intentional killing of it is murder. Interesting. And in fact, a lot of people back then actually believed that the baby was always alive, either in the sperm or the seed. <laughs> they, they believed it was actually before conception. The baby was actually in existence. During the 1840s and 1850s, 13 states passed laws forbidding abortion at any stage. Three others made abortion illegal after quickening. In 1856, the Iowa State Supreme Court held that pre-quickening abortion was not a crime, but in the next legislature, the, the prohibitionists against the quickening abortion were restored. So they legalized it, and then they legalized it again. Despite the, the devotion to legislation and intervening, abortionists continued to make inroads, and they actually began to advertise in a newspaper called the Penny Press. But they didn't come out into the penny press and say, come over here and get your abortion. What they, what they said was things like, uh, the uh, women are offered an instant relief for menstrual, menstrual suppression. <laughs> so if you need an instant relief from mens menstrual suppression, go to that doctor. Or we're told that the pills were so effective at restoring a woman's regular monthly cycle that they should never be taken by a pregnant woman. Uh -huh. Another thing that promoted abortion in America was the rise of prostitution during those days, especially just prior to the Civil War era. Prostitution became very strong, very powerful, and and these ladies, of course, they didn't have the contraception that we do today. And so they were obviously in a situation where they were getting pregnant one after another. It was estimated that 100,000 prostitution-related abortions were occurring each year at this point in America. See, I didn't know this until I studied it. I, I found it interesting. You know I'm kind of a, stat, a statistic type person, and I like all this, and I hope it's not boring you. But I think it's interesting to realize that this battle did not start in 1973. This has always been a battle in the United States. Abortion is not a new thing. Another group that, that uh, popularized it was called the Spiritists. The Spiritists were, just prior to World War II, they threw off all 
religious inhibitions. They didn't believe in, in having any inhibitions. They got tired of the whole religion thing where they were told how they walked and talked and breathed and do all the things they were supposed to do. So they threw it off. And their idea was sexual satisfaction at all costs. Why swapping was very popular during that time. And as a result, there were many, many unwanted babies. And abortion became very, very prominent. But then something very interesting happened. Civil War took place. After the Civil War, we had this problem that a segment of our society were considered less than human. And that was unacceptable. The war had been won. So what in July 9th of 1868, the 14th Amendment to the Constitution was, was uh, passed. This was a hotly contested uh, amendment. It was a fight between, uh, the, a lot of it was the Southern people and the, the Northern people. Now see, the Southern people did not want the 14th Amendment. I'll tell you what it says here. The, they didn't want the 14th Amendment because their idea was, who's going to plow my fields? Who's going to pick my cotton? Who's going to do these things? The 14th Amendment equalized all of us in America. It says in section one, all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and the state wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life liberty or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within this jurisdiction the equal protection of the law. The 14th Amendment illegalized this ridiculous idea that blacks were not human. They had, prior to that, isolated a segment of our society and said they are subhuman, they are less than human, they are not as good as us. The 14th Amendment took that away. From that point forward, it was never questioned effectively. Babies were considered a part of that. It was automatic. Pretty much abortion, although it still happened, it did not have the strength that it had before that because the 14th Amendment protected every segment of our society. Everyone. Black, white, Indian, all that. Although the Indians didn't get much help after that, but it was technically including them and unborn babies. It was never successfully argued until 1973. Now you have to understand, the, the job of the Supreme Court is not to make law. The job of the Supreme Court is to interpret law. You interpret law by looking at case law. What has the courts done before? And we base it on that. This is what the courts have consistently ruled, so you don't change that. The Supreme Court did exactly that. They looked at all the things that the law that the courts had done previous, and then they flipped it completely, which was illegal. That's called making law. The Supreme Court cannot make law. They can only interpret law. And so they said that babies that are still in the womb are not under the protection of the Constitution of the United States. They are not a human being. And as a result of that, what they did was they, again, put a circle around the segment of our society just like they had done with the blacks beforehand. Now the Supreme Court in 1973 picked out unborn babies and said they are not human. They are just a blob. They're not real. The confusing thing is, is even today, if a woman is pregnant and you kill that baby, they'll charge you for murder. How does that make sense? 
So, what does God say? Genesis 25:22. See, this is what's interesting, is that God never makes a distinction in his word between an unborn baby and a born baby. He never makes a distinction in his word. In Genesis 25, 22, it says the children struggled together within her. That word children there, now that we're talking about unborn children here, is the same word that is used throughout the Old Testament to talk about young children that are born. It is the same word. In Luke 141 it tells us that when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the babe leaped within her womb. This is the very same word for babe, uh, briefos, that is used in Luke 2:12 and 16 for the baby Jesus, who was already born. And in Luke 18:15, when it talks about infants, it's the same word. The word that they use for an unborn baby in Scripture is the same word that is used for a child in Scripture. They are not different. And they brought unto him also infants, it says in Luke 18, 15, that he should touch them. Same word as the word for the baby that le leaped in Elizabeth's womb when Jesus came on the scene. Psalm 51, 5, David refers to himself as when he was yet unborn as I and me. Behold, I was shaped in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. <clears throat> Scripture does not have a distinction between the unborn and the born. They are valuable life. We have, we have cheapened life, and we... As children of God must always realize this is not between a woman and her God. This is about a nation and a people that we, as a as, as a as God's people, must stand for life because we serve a God of life. He is a God of life. The thing that amazes me is this animal rights activist stuff. Now, I don't have any liking for picking on animals or being mean to animals, and there are some animals I don't like, like cats. But I don't go around wanting to inflict injury to cats. I just don't like them. But what bugs me is we have celebrities all over the place that will run around working for PETA. You know what? I don't really care. This is going to sound mean. I don't care if an animal is being uh, mistreated when children are dying. My emphasis is going to be for the child. You know, when we quit killing babies innocently, then I'll worry about what happens to a duck. You know? We have to get our priorities straight, but you know what they say? Well, that's a political issue. A political issue? That is a morality issue. That is an issue that we need to stand for. And they try to use certain phraseology to make it sound better. You know, when they talk about our side, of course, we call ourselves pro-life. They say we're anti-abortion. They call themselves pro-choice. Pro-choice. Again, you do have a choice. You have a choice not to reproduce. That's your choice. But once that baby is conceived, responsibility takes over. There is a responsibility. A recent uh, article, I think it was in Time Magazine, if I recall, 
he talked about the waiting list that's sometimes years long for people wanting to adopt a child. But a woman is not willing to let that child live long enough to be adopted because it might inconvenience her. We don't have the option of killing because it's inconvenient. Imagine this strange case. You have somebody that lives off grid, a man and a wife, they live way out in the mountains and they only have one vehicle and you know she has no phone, whatever, and the husband's gonna be gone for a couple of months and she's all by herself and some hillbilly stops by and leaves a baby on her porch. Well, she's stuck. She can't do a thing with it. She can't leave it. She can't, you know, she can't bring it to town. Does she have a right to kill it? Just because it's going to inconvenience her for a few months, does she have a right to kill that baby? Of course not. No law in the land would say that, they, that she has a right to kill a baby because of inconvenience. But now we have passed a law that says it's legal to kill because it's inconvenient. And that's a very sad thing. That's the real inconvenient truth rather than, other than what Al Gore says. And that's the situation that we're in. But there is a good thing. A lot of things have happened in the last year or so that have restricted abortion. Praise God for that. Praise the Lord for laws being passed that are putting restrictions on abortions. Because God is the God of life, and we as God's children are children of life. And so I encourage everybody here to be in prayer about this situation because there are girls right here in this community that we don't even know who they are who are in that situation. And it is a horrible situation to be in. And they have two sides pulling on them. And a lot of times it's only one side. Planned Parenthood, Mar Margaret Stanger. You know, we talk about Hitler killing six million Jews. Margaret Stanger has about 50 million Americans on her conscience that she's answered to God for. 50 million Americans have been killed through this travesty of abortion. Over 50 million now. And we have to help the pregnancy centers. We have to pray for them. We have to support them. We have to do what we can because those girls need to hear that there's another answer. Planned Parenthood's going to give them all their side of it. But they need to know that there's an answer. That lady on that video, I don't know, that just, that just, wow. Five days, she was in a saline solution that her mother had injected into her. Willingly injected into her to kill her. It burned her flesh. Every part of her flesh on her body was burned for five days. And as she said there, that's what abortion looks like. How beautiful a life would have been lost if her mother had been successful. So I want to pray, pray for the uh, pregnancy centers. Pray for these ladies in this area that are in this situation. It's a terrible situation. Horrible what's, what, uh, what these girls are facing, these young girls. So we need to be in prayer for them. 